Welcome back to Range Anxiety. It's that time again. Put down your horse worming paste. Yep. And stop crackle tuning and popcorning for a minute because it's uh, me, Martin Don, and we're back for Range Anxiety. 30 years of automotive tuning experience in general, mucking around with cars coming at you once, twice, or three times a week. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it, is, it is your midweek show, and I'm actually doing it midweek for once. I sort of let them, I let all the previous epicasts that I had uh, recorded catch up, and now we're all caught up, so back onto a normal schedule. Now, there's going to be some changes uh, upcoming to this podcast, epicast series, over the next couple of months, and by Christmas we should have transitioned. We're actually going to do a YouTube show as well, so you get to look at me and a big pole, hey babe, hey world. And uh, <laughs> as we do these shows, and you know that we're only doing it to increase our reach a little bit further because our reach is really, really good and it's growing. But, you know, if you can get a video show out there as well, then obviously it's going to grow at, a, at an exponential rate. One day, I hope to be just doing this for a living. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? So you can just listen to me talk shit and uh, talk about cars, have your fun and... Uh, I won't have to touch your cars, and wouldn't that be a lovely thing? It'd be a lovely thing for me anyway, and probably be better for you as well. So yeah, so we'll be able to just, you know, hang shit on everybody else and not actually have to do anything. Yeah, that'll be great. Okay, so expect that uh, transition to come at around Christmas time, I would think. Once I get set up, I've got a, a proper uh, booth being set up at our new uh, residence, and it could be Anglevale, it could be out there by Phillips Performance Race Engineering, where Big Paul and uh, Mark do all of their best work, making slow Commodores slightly faster. <laughs> well, that remains to be seen. Certainly sounds much faster. Once I manage to work out how to keep all the oil inside the engine, it'll be a much better thing. So what are we going to talk about today? I've got to thank the uh, Commodores there for our intro track. Going to blow your mind. Who remembers the Commodores? Fantastic. It's always a bit of remember when on our intro music. I suppose that's because I'm old. And you're probably old too if you're listening to this rubbish that I put out once, twice or three times a week. Now let's have a talk about some things that have been a little bit topical. No, it's not going to be popcorn tuning. Although I did have a client in... Last week, that requested, in uh, uh, his words, a popcorn tune on a fairly elderly W204 uh, C250 little turbocharged Merc, and we made it happen. Some of you that follow me on Facebook would have would have seen or heard the popcorn tuning, and yeah, it was it was pretty impressive. Um, but again, like all popcorn tunes, it didn't last. Uh, next day, I got a phone call from the client. Um, I didn't actually; my receptionist took it. And I didn't actually return the call, so it wasn't about the level of popcorn. He just wondered why, since I popcorn tuned his car, he had a he got a flat left rear tire, and he wanted to know if getting a flat tire was related to the tune. We call these a good friend of mine, Phil a Bobo Bunker, uh, labels these cinches. Like a cincher touched my car, it got a flat tire. Actually, the exhaust does exit on that side, so maybe the 
level of popcorn may have blown a hole in the tyre. Mm, it was quite violent, that's for sure. But yeah, nah, nothing to do with me, mate. Nothing to see here. Please move along. I get these all the time. You know, it's quite funny, really, unless you've got to speak to them about it. Because, yeah, popcorn tunes normally don't equal flat tyres. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about not just popcorn tuning, but that noble art, the new motorsport. I, I didn't think it could get any sillier than drifting, which is like, you know, synchronised swimming of motorsport. Um, but it has, you know, it's called roll racing. At least with drifting, you do... You know, you do need a bit of, I mean, you need a bit of car setup, obviously, or a lot of car setup to do it properly, but you do actually need a bit of driving skill. You need to be able to, you know, hang the car out there sideways, position it, uh, steer it, place it, throttle control, brake control. You know, drifting is, I mean, I'm hopeless at it. I've tried it once or twice. Um, but, you know, the guys that can do are quite talented drivers. You know, guys like the old Corporal, which we talk about, you know, bloody good driver and uh they always go oh yeah but i'd be no good at grip i hate the way they call it grip but they probably would be because all of those car control things that they've learned and they know um the sort of things you need on the limit when you're on a circuit they might not be the you know the nicest cleanest sort of apex uh chases out there but they might be too so yeah drifting requires a lot of skill to do right and you know there are those that can and those that can't Roll racing, on the other hand, requires no skill at all. It's just a matter of get in, hold it flat, uh, and see what pops out the other side. Um, it's nowhere near as technical as drag racing because you don't need to set the car up f to to you know move from a standing start. You're already rolling, so you know a, a lot of the technicality is taken out of it. And you know, drag racing at a de any decent level does require a bit of skill too, or a lot. Actually, those people that think it doesn't have, have no idea. Roll racing, on the other hand, uh, requires none, which is why it's a sport for every man, woman, and their dog to participate in. It's also one of the greatest lies competitions out there as well, which kind of makes it fun. But because it's open to everyone, you get a lot of dead shits involved too. So there's lots of name-calling. There's lots of bad blood. There's lots of... And, you know... Uh, from the organiser's point of view, is quite fantastic because it breeds, you know, this this level of hype that makes sure that entries fill and that people go out there and look. If you want to get out somewhere and hold your car flat for a few hundred meters, there's nothing wrong with roll racing, right? It, it's it's something that it's it's quite enjoyable in a in a puerile kind of way. It's quite enjoyable and you know it's fun, but don't ever expect to win it. You know, I've been having a look around now at some of the winners around Australia, not just in my local state, because I know all of them, you know, I know what's in the cars, or, well, I think I know what's in the cars pretty well. I mean, really, the bottom line is I only know what's in our cars, and yeah, we're quite successful at it. We got a P2 the other night, um, but I'll go on to that in a minute. But I had a look at it, and I reckon if you want to put your car on the top step, you're going to need, I did a bit of an average costing sort of thing here, you're going to need about oh, a $300,000 investment. If you work it out, you go back, have a look at all the winners, right? And then have a look at what they've spent, or what the cars cost. Yeah, it's about a $300,000 investment to win it. 
Yeah, think about that for a minute. Like we had a McLaren 765 LT win one. We've had the Audi R8 twin turbo win two. We've had John Munro's billet GDR win three or four, I think it is. So, you know, it's not uh, a sport for the uh, pocket challenged, let's say, if you want to win. Now, you can be normal and just go out there, thrash a car, have some fun, and, you know, just enjoy it uh, without a lot of name calling and carrying on. And, you know, the name calling does come from some of the bigger participants too, which is a little bit of a shame, really. We should think they you know, would have grown out of that in high school. But you're going to want to spend uh, 300000 to half a million on a car if you want to win. Uh, the last winner, I believe, was apparently offered, or one of the winners, was offered $500,000 for his car and doesn't want to sell it. And, and I suppose if it's a labour of love and, you know, he's put all his time and effort into building it, why would you? But, you know, people still come to me wanting to win or wanting to be competitive and saying, you know, what can you do for 10 grand? It's like, well, you might make it through the first round of, you know, the six or eight eliminators or whatever there is, but that's about it. You ain't going to go any further because as the hype increases and the amount of money being spent on these cars is increasing so is the level of uh excitement in the background and i know personally of four big cars being built um that it, you know 1500 odd horsepower plus uh are going to be very fast and they're just going to simply be with they can manage to give well some of the people building them it's going to be interesting to see whether they can get them to the end of the track or not but it's going to be it's going to be to just, you know, it puts it out of everybody's league. So you've just got to accept that if you go into it. And, you know, I, I, I might take the Model 3 Performance out there and just try and whack a few, you know, stockish Commodores if I can. Um, maybe even a couple of blown ones, uh, Paul Howes on. By the way, who would like to see that? Who would like to see uh, the two hosts of Range Anxiety, uh, myself and uh, co-host Paul Howes on, go head-to-head at the rolls? and see which one of us is faster. I reckon I've got him covered, but, uh, you know, he's got a supercharged Commodore with 400-plus kilowatts at the wheels, and I'm driving a toaster. So that will be really interesting. Um, but, yeah, everyone's just got to put their head in and, and enjoy it a little because once it starts to get to a level of name-calling and nastiness, what happens is some of the people that are, are really good will um, just decide not to go anymore, and overall, the whole... Dr. Evil Fingers here, sport, will suffer. So let's keep it clean, boys and girls, and let's have some fun. So what started this? Well, we decided to take our um, Radical. It's a three-litre V8. I think it's 3.2, actually. It's a stroker. It's an SR8 LM, so it's a V8 Radical. It's a circuit car. It's bloody fast. It's done like a 140-something at the bend, which for those of you that are locals will know that's darn fast. And it's done a 105 at Malala, so there, you know, it, it is fast. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And it takes away, well, to some people it took away from the event a little bit because, you know, it is a circuit car, but they are actually road registrable in the UK. Having said that, anything with wheels on it is pretty much under their sort of kit car rules is, is registrable in the UK. It'll never be registrable in Australia. However, having said that, the vehicle's owner, Daniel, uh, did uh, point out one to me that is road registered 
in the sunny state of Queensland. Yeah, that's where you can get where you can go and get a mod plate, as it's called, stapled to your car in a service station forecourt by an inspector because, yeah, they'll pretty much register anything there in Queensland too. Don't even think about it in Adelaide uh, with our vehicle inspection uh, system. Basically, if it's not 100% stock, uh, yeah, you ain't ever getting it registered. So Daniel took the car out there and, yeah, he made it into the final up against like a really nicely built, apparently. I haven't seen it, but really big billet block R34 with air-shifted gearbox and, you know, all of that really sick fruit that makes him so special. Um, and, yeah, he just got pipped at the line by that thing. So we were really surprised at how the Radical went. Um because I'm generally bad luck to have a long at roll racing. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Because I'm generally bad luck to have there, I didn't go. Had I been there, I probably could have helped them out to the win. Because the one thing I noticed, one thing about the Radical is it's a downforce car. It's a badass thing. Like, it'll generate, you know, half a ton plus of downforce, which is huge. With the wings set up for circuit mode. And guess what? When they're running in a straight line, the wings were still set in circuit mode. Now, the owner was quite aware of this and didn't have the necessary tools on him, all the Allen keys and stuff to set up the rear wing. So, and once you're out, once you're out in a limb, so, you know, you, you, you're not pulling over the side of the road and unstrapping yourself on the side of the track and unstrapping yourself and making wing adjustments, you're pretty much just running it as it is. But, you know, if you've ever watched F1 and you see what happens with the DRS system, the drag uh, reduction system, there would have been another 10, 20 kilometres an hour in it across the line enough to probably win because it did get the it did get the jump and it was ahead from majority of the track but as you know speeds reached 100 mile an hour plus it just the weight the sheer weight of the downforce was like chucking an anchor out the back of the thing which is what happens with a proper circuit car and yeah so we missed a bit, bit of a golden opportunity there but it was probably a good thing it's probably a good thing that it came second um because uh, the amount of sucking that it even made the finals because oh, it's not a street car it's a race car well yes it is it is a race car but if you look at the entry and you look at the rules you can apply and you can run anything there if the organizer accepts it and the organizer actually invited the radical out there he saw that we had it at a track day and said wow i'd really like this at my next event to create some interest so yeah we took it out there and we did pretty well will it ever go back well probably not because of the amount of sucking and carrying on, you know, from the general public. You know, a lot of people loved it. It's only the noisy minority that complain about this stuff. Um, if we were to take it back, and I'm, I'm sort of pushing for it a little, we'll actually implement on a button, and I think this could be good for the circuit anyway, a proper drag reduction system where the rear wing is hydraulically activated or actuated uh, to lay flat and drop all the downforce off at speeds, or, or most of it. You know, you want some, but you don't want the thing to swap ends on you. Um, and yeah, and that should make it really exciting and really very fast, and increase, wind up the volume of the sooking to previously unheard of levels. So if they're sooking that bad about a radical, what's going to happen when the plaid lands? Well, you know, I already know a ton of guys that have these on order and most of them are ballers right so you know running up the $240,000 Australian to buy one isn't going to be such a big deal they're going to do it they're going to spend the money right these cars are going to be here and I know as soon as they land which was probably about a year away in Australia I would think you know who knows it, it's Elon time since he broke up with Grimes recently 
that could be any time at all, really, couldn't it? Or never. But no, I think we will get the plaid eventually once interest dies down in the States. They're selling more than they can build. Once that car lands here in Australia, roll racing is essentially over. I mean, it'll still go on and it'll still carry on, but these cars will dominate and they will decimate. And there will be enough of them, you know, like I know three that will probably turn up to the, you know, the first time they're here will turn up to roll racing. And a little birdie tells me, I'm probably speaking out of school here. I'm sorry if I am, but there could be a Tesla supercharger very, very close going in uh, by our local roll racing track. So there you go. You heard it here first. I would think that that is going to happen and will be in place before the plaid gets here. So there's no more, you know, having to drive your Tesla up to the track and then plug, leave it plugged in all night, slowly drip feeding out of a wall socket or taking your three-phase extension cable and, you know, trying to do a sneaky charge in the pits. There'll be none of that. It'll be like, uh, drive to the track, spend 15 minutes on the supercharger, get to full charge, and then race all night. And you'll probably end up with about 80% battery remaining, or maybe mid-70s, at which stage, unlike other Teslas, the plant is still pretty much going flat out. So why am I so confident of this? Well, I've been watching some of the roll racing that they've been doing with these things in the U.S., in dead standard cars, one of them with no weight reduction at all, and it is simply staggering. These things are, are leveling on roll racing, you know, from a, a, a 50, 60, 80 kilometer an hour roll, they're leveling tuned ZX 14Rs with long swing arms, ported heads, you know, tuned engines. They're leveling these things. They are spooky fast. And the speed limiting that's in place at 163 mile per hour, which will probably stay in place for Australia, um, is no problem due to the short nature of the roll racing events. Uh, I've kind of lined up some of the stats with some of our previous winners here. And yeah, the uh, plaid is just going to serve pretty much all of them. No, actually all of them. A huge pizza with gaparoni every single time they line up. So what's going to happen is that the finals are just going to be plaid versus plaid versus plaid. And, you know, people will build faster cars. They will build faster internal combustion cars, proper drag cars versus a, you know, off-the-shelf street car. And depending on the weather conditions and depending on whether they can dial in their torque management properly, which is, you know, still debatable because most people have no clue about that at all, um, you know, there will be times when the plates get beaten, but their sheer reliability, because they're a dead standard car, and their sheer weight of numbers is going to mean every time there's a backfire, a cough, or a fart from these petrol-powered things, they're going to get put in the bin. Yeah. I mean, literally put in the bin. And remember, you heard that here first. So what's that going to do to the sport? You know, we're just going to have plaid versus plaid versus plaid. It's, there's going to be no noise. You know, they make a little bit of noise, actually, lots of tyre noise, and as you know, some of those that have heard my drive-alongs, even Model 3 makes a metric shit-ton of tyre noise. Um, it's going to take away from the spectacle a little, unless you're a hardcore enthusiast. It's going to turn into uh, an EV shootout. Personally, I'm all for it. I think it would be wicked just to rock up there and you know watch everyone try and jump the start in their plaids, because they're all going to be you know level pegging. There's no two ways about that. They're all going to be lined up side by side, and, and, and you know, it's going to be fun for me, but I think there's going to be 
the biggest amount of sookin you've ever heard and or seen, but there's nothing you can do about it. These cars are coming. They're faster than anything else out there, and it's a matter of either get on board or don't get on board because you're going to get chopped, and they're going to be the cheapest cars that win these events. That's right, the cheapest. 240 grand in Australia with all of our shithouse luxury car taxes and levies and, you know, government digs, they're still going to be the cheapest cars that win these events. And there's going to be no trailers involved. They're going to drive there and they're going to drive home and they're going to do it on their road tyres. I mean, they're actually just as fast on their delivered, you know, Michelins or whatever they are as any of the guys that have, you know, as they are on Nitos and, and drag radials because, they, you know, from what I've seen coming out of the US, the tyres actually don't make that much of a difference to them. You know, they're a, they've got brilliant torque management and they've got a massive amount of weight, obviously, pushing the tyre into the ground. So, and perfect weight split, 50-50. There's going to be, um, yeah, I, I just can't think of how they can't win. Speaking of which, uh, Uncle Chet at Rocky Mountain Race Week, he managed to actually get his half-broken plaid without traction control working, the one that does big four-wheel smokies that you might have seen on YouTube, which actually looks pretty cool. It's nothing cooler than watching the car just creep through the water box and just silently explode all four wheels into smoke. You know, that is crazy and incredible stuff. Uh, he actually managed to put his on a bit of a diet from what I saw last night, they actually ripped the thing apart. Like took all the door cards off and seats out. And, you know, I think he had a race seat in that one anyway. Stripped it out, put a diet, ripped everything out of the front and the trunk and, and managed to run a 9-0. So we're getting very, very close to that elusive uh, eight-second mark now. And, yeah, I think it'll fall. I mean, and he, because his car's got no traction systems working, it won't go into drag strip mode. So it won't lower the nose to help split the weight at the start. So if he can work out how to force the thing into a nose down launch in drag strip mode, I think he can heat the battery still for optimum performance, but he can't get the nose down, which makes about a tenth difference from what I've seen, or a tenth, tenth and a half. That 9.0 suddenly becomes an 8.9, and that's where we've got to be. We've got to work out a way of getting these cars into the eights to make them totally, totally unbeatable by anything other than a Rimac Nevera. And don't expect to see any of those at your local drag strip very soon or any time at all. There'll probably be one or two that turn up somewhere. Not in Australia, so I don't think they'll ever be legal here. And yeah, so really, really exciting times. So more on the... Um, transition to YouTube, I will, we're still going to stay here on this platform on Anchor and Spotify because, you know, they're good people. And Anchor's a really great way of, of, of getting your, your voice out there. But we're going to, uh, we're going to have a proper studio set up. We're going to have more guests. Uh, so you can see their ugly mugs as well as uh, Paul and my ugly mugs. And it's it's going to be a fun thing. Um, so what I want you to do is, is those of you that I really need your feedback on this, so please answer me. Um, those of you that think it's a good idea, please send me some feedback to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at senet, S-E-N-E-T, dot com dot A-U, and let me know your thoughts on it, because it's going to be a big thing. It's going to take us a lot longer um, to produce the Epicast. We're going to we're going to try and aim for the same frequency, and we may do, at first, some video, some just audio, and split it up a bit, 
but this is this is the way to get it really going. Let's see if we can make ourselves big names. And all of you that have come along and supported us from the very start, you're part of it and you can enjoy it too. So thank you once more for listening to Range Anxiety.